40 back again wanting to talk about why we're seeing so much uh, bad behavior, right? Why do we have so much crime? Why do we have so much dysfunction in schools? Why do we have so many severe traffic accidents? Is there some common denominator? And I believe there is. We've done away with the incentives against bad behavior. We've reduced the incentives of bad behavior. We have promoted incentives for bad behavior and uh, we're in trouble and uh, we're seeing this with massive increase in crime but we're also seeing this in traffic accidents, pedestrian accidents all sorts of things but uh, first of all some good news everything points to Omicron being milder positive signs from South Africa's new hospital data so it looks like this will in all likelihood be a milder version of COVID and it will act like a vaccine. So we've got uh, we've got a lot of people with Omicron, but not many people who are getting sent to hospital with Omicron. So Sydney Morning Herald says Omicron sweeps throughout South Africa. This particular doctor is seeing dozens of sick, sick patients a day, yet he hasn't had to send any of them to the hospital. Right, So that's one reason why he, along with many other doctors and medical experts, suspect that the Omicron version is really causing milder COVID-19 than Delta, even if it seems to be spreading faster. They're able to manage the disease at home, he says. Most have recovered within 10 to 14 days of the isolation period. This includes older patients, those with health problems, so those with comorbidities, and many other doctors have shared similar stories. So that's um, some good news out of South Africa, but also this seems to echo what's what's going on around the world. Right, I'm reading this new biography of Australia's current Prime Minister. The Game is called A Portrait of Scott Morrison by Sean Kelly. The book came out November 1st. So Scott Morrison was asked about the Uluru Statement from the Heart. So Ayers Rock is now known as Uluru. And uh, Scott Morrison says, I don't support a third chamber. So the Uluru Statement from the Heart, statement on behalf of Indigenous Australians, the Aborigines, uh, called for a voice for Indigenous Australians enshrined in the Constitution. And Sean Kelly says, in the plainness of its language and the clarity of its arguments, the Uluru Statement from the Heart is one of the most beautiful documents in Australian history. It has the potential to be one of the most significant. So let's have a look at this video here on the Uluru Statement from the Heart. The Uluru Statement from the Heart is a message written to the Australian people from Indigenous Australians. It is the culmination of more than a decade's work and the largest deliberative process with Indigenous people on Australia's constitution in our nation's history. 13 meetings were held across the country with a final national convention involving hundreds of delegates at our nation's physical and spiritual heart, Uluru. There's rock. Almost 300 people put their signature to this historic statement. The senior boss ladies of Uluru then painted the dreamings of that place around the statement to express the ancient connection with our law and our land. The three themes of the statement are voice, treaty and truth.
thoughts. To understand where these themes have come from, we must look back into the past. For thousands of years, the continent was occupied by its indigenous people, who had their own laws, leadership and territories. In 1770, Cook claimed the east coast of Australia, and shortly after, all of the inhabitants were proclaimed as British subjects. Without their knowledge or agreement, they had come under the rule of British law and government. As Aboriginal land was claimed, the first people faced extreme hardship and great upheaval. Many Aboriginal people fought back. Others tried different means of finding a voice in the new world. In 1881, the Yorta Yorta petitioned the Governor of New South Wales. They say, all the land within our tribal boundaries has been taken possession of by the government and white settlers, rendering our means of subsistence extremely precarious and often reducing us and our wives and children to beggary. William Barak writes from Corrandirk, a small parcel of land in Victoria which was all they had been left from their vast Wurundjeri territories. He says, We should be free like the white population. There is only a few blacks now remaining in Victoria, and we blacks of Aboriginal blood wish to have now freedom for all our lifetime. These are just a few of the many thousands of letters and petitions that fell on deaf ears. In 1901, mass celebrations take place in Sydney to celebrate the formation of the states into one federated government under the new Australian constitution. Yet the constitution failed to recognise Indigenous people. It specifically excluded Indigenous people from being counted in the census. Further, it didn't allow the new Commonwealth government the power to make laws about Indigenous people. The first people are effectively locked out of a new Australian democracy and one year later, a law is passed to ban all Aboriginal people from voting in federal elections. It quite amuses me to hear the people saying, I don't like the black man. But he's damn glad to live in a black man's country all the same. I am calling the Kurobi of all the natives of New South Wales to send a petition to the king in an endeavour to improve our condition. All the black man wants is representation in federal parliament. He was not the only voice. In 1933, Yorta Yorta man William Cooper prepared a petition also calling for representation in parliament. It took years to gather almost 200 signatures and was signed by our people from across the nation. It said, the original occupants and we, their heirs and successors, should be adequately cared for. Our lands have been expropriated by Your Majesty's Government. Legal status is denied to us by Your Majesty's Government in the Commonwealth. Your petitioners therefore humbly pray that Your Majesty will intervene on our behalf and grant to our people representation in the Federal Parliament. The Victorian Government decided that no good purpose would be had by sending it to the King. The petition was lost and the request left unanswered. By the 1960s, emancipation of black people was sweeping through Africa and America. Okay, so you hear them say that they demand decent housing. Well, they're not saying that we demand the right to work for decent housing. They're saying we demand that essentially the government provide us with decent housing. So again, you're incentivizing bad behavior 
when you're rewarding people who ask to be taken care of, right? Why can't they work for their housing like everybody else? Meanwhile, our people were isolated in reserves and missions as wards of the state. Our children were being removed in their thousands. Our young men and women were... Okay, removed. So they were being taken out of Aboriginal settlements where child abuse was rampant, where alcoholism and drug abuse was rampant, where all sorts of horrible things were going on, and they were being raised to lead a productive life. All right? They were being taken, generally speaking, out of horrible environments, moved into good environments. So why should, why should Australia apologize for treating these people you know, well, taking people out of horrible abuse and uh, taking them to a place where they can learn skills? Being exploited for their labor and legislation entrenched segregation against us. Exploited for their labor? Well, why didn't they just start their own businesses and profit from it like Jews do or Asians do? as law. The demands of our people for rights to land, equality and recognition as the first people and a voice to government were building momentum. It was about to become a national movement. So I'm looking at this new biography of Scott Morrison and uh, this biography is by a lefty, Sean Kelly, and he says that this Uluru Statement from the Heart is one of the most beautiful documents in Australian history. And here's a section of it. We are the most incarcerated people on the planet. So do you, do you honestly think that the police in Australia are just hunting down Aboriginals who are doing nothing wrong? They're the most incarcerated people on the planet proportionally because they commit an astronomical amount of crime. Stop murdering people. Stop raping people. Stop stealing from people. Stop bashing people. Stop being a public nuisance and you won't get arrested. Right? We are not an innately criminal people. Well, you're committing an astronomical amount of crime. If you, if you want to accept this statement, you're incentivizing bad behavior. You're saying that all their rapes and child abuse and muggings and thievings and murders, that they're not their fault, that they're not accountable for their actions. Right? This is the attitude that incentivizes horrible behavior. Our children are alienated from their families at unprecedented rates. Well, stop raping your kids. Stop molesting your kids. Stop abusing your kids. Right? No one is forcing your children to be alienated from their families. Aborigines have really weak family structure. So it's up to Aborigines to turn things around. This cannot be because we have no love for them. Well, you're not doing a very good job of parenting them. And our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. They're committing obscene amounts of crime. Stop raping people. Stop murdering people. Stop killing people. Stop stealing from people. Stop mugging people. Right? Stop committing obscene amount of crime and you won't be detained. They should be our hope for the future. Well, raise them right. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly the structural nature of our problem. No, incarceration rates don't tell plainly the structural nature of our problem. They tell plainly that the Aboriginal Indigenous community has very severe internal problems. Right? The white man is not forcing the black man in Australia to commit obscene amounts of crime. This is the torment of our powerlessness. You get all sorts of things given to you. Billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars are given to you. You, you, you work the, the guilt racket and extort ever more billions of dollars from the rest of Australians who have to work for their money. We see constitutional reforms to empower our people. Why don't you empower your own people? Why do you have to rely on the white man to give you this power? To take our rightful place in our own country? Well, 
go be a productive citizen. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. Oh, so if the white man give you these things, then you'll do a better job of raising your kids? Give me a break. The 1960s began with the formation of the Federal Council for the Advancement of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, for CATSI, which incorporated advancement groups in a number of states. Campaigns included equal wages, a referendum to change the Australian constitution and land rights. After a 10-year campaign to change the constitution, involving people from all... So by land rights, they don't mean the land rights that regular Australians have, right? All Australians have land rights. You work hard, you save money, you can buy land. But that's not what they're asking for. They're asking for handouts. They're asking for the government to give them the land. Now, you can make a very good argument. Well, this was their land. Well, they didn't grow out of the ground. Like one tribe took it from another tribe. That's the way it's been throughout human history. People don't emerge out of the ground. Right, so if you want to say this land belongs to this people, well, that people always took it from some other people. So I don't buy moral arguments about land ownership. So when they're talking about land rights, they're talking about land freebies. Walks of life. The 1967 referendum was held. It was the most successful referendum in Australian history. Overwhelmingly, Australians voted for the Commonwealth. So do you know when the first Maori graduated from medical school. It was something like the 1880s in New Zealand. The first uh, full-blooded Aboriginal graduated from medical school around 1980, right? It's not the white man holding back uh, the black man in Australia. This is an internal problem within the Aboriginal people. And the white man can't come in and magically rescue things. To have the power to make laws for Indigenous people. Overwhelmingly, Australians voted for the Commonwealth to have the power to make laws for our people doing away with racist legislation in the States. We were also to be counted in the national census. It was a moment of triumph and unity. Oh, it's a moment of triumph and unity. So did problems for Aborigines diminish? Did rates of alcoholism diminish after this? Did rates of child abuse diminish? Did rates of rape diminish? Did family structures become more cohesive? Did Aborigines start studying harder and working harder and forming stronger families? Did they build stronger communities? Did they start earning more money? No, right? So all these wonderful things happened in legislation, but the alcoholism continued, the drug abuse continued, the child abuse continued, the rape continued, the murder, the astronomical crime rate continued, wasn't affected by all this do-gooder legislation. In 1967, we were counted. Now we seek to be heard. So 300 Aborigines signed this. Right? This is supposed to represent the other 500,000 Aborigines. So the Constitution now allows the government to make laws specifically about Indigenous people. And now we want the right to have a say about those laws, like the Native Title Act and other special Indigenous laws. The Voice would give advice from Indigenous people to Parliament, not a veto, not another Chamber of Parliament, just advice from people who are affected by the laws that are made about them. It needs to be built into the Constitution. So they're incapable of running for public office. They're incapable of working through the existing system. Somehow they need a special system because they're not capable of having a fair go. They're not capable of taking on adult responsibility. They're not capable of doing the things that everybody else is capable of doing. But somehow Indigenous Australians are not capable of this. Is that what you're arguing? that seems to be what you're arguing here. So it cannot be removed by the whim of government, only by the Australian people. The whim of government, all right, governments are elected by people. What you're asking for is special rights 
so that you're immune from the normal processes that other people have to go through. This encourages bad behavior. Okay, let's let's have a look. Some news stories here. Schools confront a wave of student misbehavior driven by months of remote learning. Did you know that rape in schools is caused by months of remote learning? Did you know that uh, drug and alcohol abuse in schools is caused by caused by months of remote learning? Did you know that uh, theft and mugging and uh, brutal Physical assaults are caused by months of remote learning. Somehow, I know lots of Ashkenazi Jews and I know Asians who've been remote learning over the past 18 months. None of them are going out committing vast amounts of crime. They're not going out murdering and raping people. So this nonsense that our crime rates are caused by COVID lockdowns is absurd. Absolutely absurd. Come on, man. Schools confront a wave of student misbehavior driven by months of remote learning. Districts respond with more counseling. Yeah, that's going to stop the rapists. Increased patrols, that might help. And fewer suspensions. Yes, fewer suspensions. Yeah, let's have fewer suspensions, right? So we've got massive amounts of crime. And the thing that's going to fix it is less discipline. Because that's what bad behaving school kids badly need is less discipline, right? Let's... let's uh, Let's suspend fewer of them so that the bad people, the rapists and the abusers, right, the thieves, let's get them back in the classroom so that they can do their thing. We don't want to suspend them. School districts across the U.S. say they are seeing a surge of student misbehavior in the return to in-person learning after months of closures and disruptions through the pandemic. I have a different thesis. My thesis is since the Black Lives Matter movement, we've had an astronomical increase in crime. We've had an astronomical increase in bad driving. We've had an astronomical increase in traffic deaths. We've had an astronomical increase in pedestrian deaths. We've had an astronomical increase in bad behavior in schools. Why? Because we're declaring certain minority groups are exempt from the same moral standards and legal standards that we hold everybody else accountable to. So when you drive the police back, you incentivize them to not enforce the law, what happens? You get a massive increase in bad behavior. So two boys exchange words at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana, and then soon dozens of other students are joining in the kicking and the punching until the teachers fall, pull them apart. The fight is one of a series of brawls in Southwood's courtyards and hallways. So somehow I suspect these are not Ashkenazi Jews. These are not evangelical Christians. Right? These are not Asian kids. All right. These are kids who need discipline. School officials says they've never seen anything like it. Academically strong school is a 99% graduation rate. Okay, here's the, uh, here's the principal, Kim Pendleton. Okay, you can have an astronomical rate of graduation if you simply lower standards, right? You have nothing standards, then you can graduate everybody. That's not terribly impressive. So I'm going to suspect that this is not such an academically high-achieving school, contrary to this Wall Street Journal article. Schools have seen an increase in fighting, disruptive classroom behavior, a rise in violence, and unacceptable behaviors posted on social media. Yeah, 
when there are fewer consequences, when the police are not likely to enforce the law, you can have more bad behavior. We've had this desire since the Black Lives Matter movement to uh, get rid of the police, get police out of schools, right? Reduce, defund the police. As a result, the bad guys are doing a lot of bad things. So schools are responding by reducing student suspensions, right? So you're not suspending the bad students. You're not punishing them effectively. So, of course, you're going to get more bad behavior. They're, they're eliminating, in Dallas, they're eliminating suspensions in favor of counseling. Yeah, that's really going to work. Like, let's bring in the counseling. That's, that's going to be wonderful, right? Bloody hell. They, they really think that, uh, that, that more counseling is going to do the I think you need more punishment and bad behavior, right? Call me old-fashioned. That's what I think would be most effective. Oh, uh, the Albuquerque, New Mexico superintendent sent a letter to parents warning of a rise in violence and unacceptable behaviors posted to social media that have disrupted classes. Where are the police in all this? Uh, schools are responding by hiring more counselors. Yeah, that's really going to help. Educators at disadvantaged schools in low-income neighborhoods anticipated students would return to in-person learning with mental health scars from COVID-19. Yeah, that's why they're raping, because of the mental health scars that they got from COVID-19. So apparently students are treating each other and adults disrespectfully in and out of class. Well... When you reduce punishments and reduce suspensions, people are going to react to incentives. The human being is inherently a dangerous animal. You reduce punishments and people behave badly. School psychologists have seen the same volume of mental health complaints and behavioral issues in the first three months of the school year that used to occur in an entire academic school year. Hmm, so apparently it's a mess. Just an absolute mess. Who would have thought that defund the police, reduce school suspensions would, uh, would result in all this bad behavior? Well, I would have thought that. Anyone with any sense of uh, basic human nature would have thought this. But uh, maybe... Maybe the kids just need more, more talks, just uh, more conversation. Maybe that'll do it. Maybe that'll turn things around. Maybe more landmines. Secret instructions to Lieutenant James Cook, 1769. You are, with the consent of the natives, to take possession of convenient situations in the country in the name of the King of Great Britain. No such consent was sought or given. In 1835, John Batman thought he had negotiated the first treaty for access to over 2,000 hectares of land of the Kulin people. However, the governor proclaimed, it has been represented to me that His Majesty's subjects have taken possession of vacant lands of the Crown under the pretense of a treaty with the Aboriginal nation. 
You know how the world works? The strong take what they want and the weak endure what they must. All right, stronger people are always going to take land from weaker people. And if you then uh, subsidize people who are behaving badly, people who don't want to take responsibility for their own actions, you're just going to get more bad behavior. So this Wall Street Journal article says, oh, talking about it helps as one 12-year-old. So yeah, talking to these kids, that that's really, that's going to do the, the trick. And uh, they're going to have hand clapping games and they're going to have breathing exercises. And they're going to have social emotional lessons reminding children how to communicate. This should do the trick. And uh, it's all the pandemics had a greater impact on student behavior than other traumatic events. Maybe the greatest impact here is the summer of George Floyd and how America stopped policing bad behavior. And as a result, we've had a lot more bad behavior. Oh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe if we have more dads on duty, that'll do the trick. So, yeah, we got dads on duty, right? Well, yeah, police patrol should help. And uh, these uh, dads on duty, they're going to play the role of the cool uncle with students. That should do the trick. They just need more land rights. Just give them more land rights. These problems would go away. I notify all His Majesty's subjects that every such treaty and contract with the Aboriginal natives is void and of no effect against the rights of the Crown. In effect, what the Governor said was that British law ruled and to recognise Aboriginal people as landowners under their own law would undermine... So the British settle Australia and uh, they decide to operate Australia according to British law, not according to Aboriginal law. Shocking. The rule and sovereignty of the Crown. For the next 150 years, this remained the status quo, despite significant opposition and protest. The word Makarata was embraced in 1977 by the National Aboriginal Conference. A word from the Yolongumata language, they explain that Makarata makes it clear this is intended to be an agreement within Australia between Australians. The Yolongu concept of Makarata captures the idea of two parties coming together after a struggle, healing the divisions of the past. It is about acknowledging that something has been done wrong and it needs to be made right. By 1988, the anniversary of 200 years of European occupation, known as the Bicentennial Celebrations, the notion of a national treaty had gathered real momentum. People from across the country packed their bags to make the long journey to Sydney with the Bicentennial rapidly approaching. So you have public service announcements in Australia for Aborigines warning them not to sleep on the streets, right? Don't sleep on a road. Don't huff petrol, right? When you when you have a, a people reduced to such a state, the white man can't come along and rescue them. Like any rescue has to come from them. The white man's not going to come along and, and do it. Okay, car crash deaths have surged during 
COVID-19 pandemic. Here's why. Yeah, I, I wonder, wonder why there's been a boom in all these bad things happening, right? We have a boom in murder. We have a boom in pedestrian deaths. We have a boom in traffic deaths. So why is that happening? And uh, I think I know because when the police are more reluctant to enforce the law, you can have a lot more of this horrible behavior. But this is what I love about this LA Times article. Car crash deaths have surged during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's why. Well, the why is that there are fewer police enforcing the law because police have been massively incentivized to step back. So there were 38,680 deaths on U.S. roadways last year, the most since 2007, even though the pandemic had dramatically reduced driving. This is completely unprecedented. Okay, one possibility is that stressed out Americans were releasing their anxieties on the wide open roads. No. Groups who behave criminally, who behave badly, have reason to believe that the police are going to be less likely to enforce the law. And so therefore, they're going to take their bad behavior out onto the streets. So after decades of safety gains, the pandemic has made U.S. drivers more reckless. Yeah, because the police are less likely to enforce the law. But now U.S. drivers are more likely to speed. They're more likely to drink. They're more likely to use drugs. They're uh, more likely to leave their seatbelts unbuckled. Yeah, so a lot of people are behaving badly because they have less reason to believe that the police are going to arrest them. So hang on. I'll be back. 